This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Blue wire. The Denver Nuggets select Michael Porter Jr. But I'm going to make sure that this pick is this organization's best pick they've ever made. Morris inside. Jokic. Put it up. Jokic. 23. edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com. We're home for all Colorado sports of all kinds. Today's going to be a fun podcast because the first round series is over. The Denver Nuggets won, miraculously won in Game 7, in my opinion, thanks to Gary Harris's defense, but you can go read about that on Mile High Sports if you are so inclined. Now the Nuggets are moving on and taking on the Los Angeles Clippers on Thursday night for Game 1. They had less than 48 hours to turn around and find a way to get ready for this Clippers team. So... I was not able to get that ready for this series, so instead of pretending like I had any fucking idea what was going on, I turned to Lucas Hahn, who is awesome and has been covering the Clippers for like nearly a decade now, and runs 213 Hoops, which is one of the best Clippers sites you'll ever come across. So make sure you go follow 213 Hoops on Twitter, which is at 213 Hoops. Go to 213hoops.com and go follow Lucas J. Hahn on Twitter as well, because his insight into the not just the Clippers, but how they match up with the Nuggets and what the Nuggets do was truly awesome. We had a great time talking hoops. It was something that I really hope we get to do more of, and you'll hear me on his show going on down the line. And I bet he will be back on this show in the very, very near future to be able to discuss everything that is happening from games one through however many last in this Nuggets Clippers series. We talked about different matchups. We talked about X factors. We talked about rest versus fatigue. We talked about if there's rust versus rest, if there's going to be any kind of particular way that the Clippers are going to defend the Nuggets or if there's ways that the Nuggets are going to defend the Clippers. We talked for like an hour about every little piece of this possible series so I, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I had recording it. I absolutely love talking to people like this, and it was one of the most enjoyable podcast conversations I've had in a really, really long time. So hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. Also, I need to first give a shout out to Deal Dash to, or sorry, to to DoorDash, to BetOnline, to NFLSundayTicket.tv, and also Greg Olson Show Tight End 1, which just had Shannon Sharp on it. Blue Wire Podcast Network just keeps growing, and it's really cool to see. You're going to hear about DoorDash here in a second for our first break, and then the second break, you're going to end up hearing about NFLSundayTicket.tv before closing things out from BetOnline. So make sure you stick around, you hear about all the free stuff you can get just for listening to this show, and again, 
Thank you all for sticking around. We're going to take our first break, tell you about DoorDash, and then we're going to have my conversation with Lucas Hahn of 213 Hoops on the other end. You've been counting on restaurants your entire life, especially if you're like me and you just happen to love food. Now, those same restaurants are counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food that you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with new contactless delivery drop-off settings. Choose your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle and Wendy's and the Cheesecake Factory, as well as many of your favorite local restaurants who are also on DoorDash for delivery as well. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and boom, your food is on the way. Right now, our listeners of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast and any Blue Wire podcast can get $5 off and zero delivery fees for their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter promo code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Welcome back into the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, and I am joined by the great Lucas Hahn of 213 Hoops. If, By the way, if you haven't gone to 213 Hoops for all things Clippers, make sure you find your way there. It's at 213 Hoops on Twitter. It's 213hoops.com on the interwebs. They do great work. You and Robert Flom, awesome, awesome stuff. So thank you for all thank the work you, you do you. with the Clippers, and also thank you for joining me on this show to talk about what is apparently a series that's going to happen in like 20 seven hours yeah i mean thank you know thanks for having me on the show totally and um it, it is kind of like i mean it's it's even a quicker turnaround for you guys because you of course were dealing with covering game seven and everything that goes into that and now having to to roll right into a game one just 48 hours later but even for for us on the clippers end not knowing who you're going to be playing until like 46 hours before tip off of game one is a pretty fast turnaround. So a little bit of a whirlwind couple of days here, but uh, it should be exciting. Yeah, let's just start there. We'll get into matchups in a second, but the rest part of this is going to be fascinating because normally you don't want to sit for a week waiting for a team, but because of the speed of the games that have been happening, it hasn't been that long for the Clippers. But for the Nuggets to try and go from that emotional Game 7 win, especially with how dramatic the ending was, to somehow completely readjust from an, um, from an elimination style of play to trying to create good habits in Game 1 is incredibly difficult so who do you think it so it's pretty clear the the Clippers have the edge here you're not worried about a letdown from rest or anything like that correct yeah I I think you know we talk a lot about like rest versus rust right exactly but the Clippers played a like close out game six and played in that game on Sunday so in reality it's not you know they haven't been waiting forever they took Monday off they practiced Tuesday, they practiced Wednesday, they play on Thursday. So like three days off is almost like the perfect amount of time for a team to take a day off, have a couple of practices, get ready for a game, right? 
I think it's when you get into like four or five, six days off that you start getting into trouble. So I, I'm not anticipating rust being a problem for the Clippers. I think that this kind of will swing a lot more on does Denver come in on like riding a high note from a huge game seven series and just come in like all out intensity, adrenaline, right? Or do they come in and their legs just aren't there? I, it's going to be one or the other, I think, in game one. And I, I don't know which it will be, but I don't think we're going to see just like kind of a normal Nuggets energy level. I think it will either be riding the momentum from a game seven win or crashing hard after fighting back to win that first round series. Thankfully, these game seven elimination games have not been a rare you know, occurrence for the Nuggets. You know, they had two game sevens last season in the playoffs. And then if you, if you, if you go back a step further to when they had the game 83 or game 82 play-in game against the Minnesota Timberwolves, where they had their back against the wall as well, this is not anything that's new to them. So their ability to kind of bounce back from this, I don't think is going to be incredibly difficult for them. The one part I am concerned about are their legs because first of all, a lot of these guys were hurt to start out in the bubble. They didn't have a lot of these guys able to get their reps going. And Jamal Murray took a hell of a knee from Joe Ingles to his quad last night. And then from that point forward was not attacking Rudy Gobert in the same way. So when you start talking about the legs being there and the amount of effort the Nuggets had to use to be able to get through this seven game series, that part makes me very concerned. And I'm not sure how it's going to play out. But if Jamal Murray is not 100%, Denver's chances in the series basically goes to nil for me is is that how it looks from your perspective as well yeah I mean I think look I mean Jamal is is really important to what the Nuggets do there's no way that they get out of that first round series without him having like a legitimately historically great series scoring basketball but I also think back to my frame of you know you talked about the Nuggets have had kind of similar situations in the recent years my frame of reference is 2015 Clippers draw the Spurs in a 3-6 in the first round. Brutal series against the Spurs at the end of their run, but still very much, you know, still the Spurs. And they, you know, it was a brutal seven-game series. The Clippers actually had a very similar game three to the Nuggets where the Clippers got blown out by 30 points in game three of that series before bouncing back to win in seven at the buzzer. And then similarly that year for whatever reason in the playoffs the Clippers had played all seven of those games with just one day break in between and then only had one day between game seven and game one of the second round against the Rockets but the Clippers actually came out and went to Houston for game one of the second round without Chris Paul who was out with a hamstring injury suffered in game seven of the first round and blew the Rockets out in Houston in game one riding high on that momentum played Houston close in game two, came back to LA, blew them out in game three by 25 points, blew them out in game four by 33 points. I mean, dominated them. And then in the last three games of the series, just the legs were gone, right? So it's like the Clippers peaked a little too early that year. The the Spurs forced them to peak in the end of the first round. And then you can only be at your peak for so long before you start to crash, right? Now, I don't think the Denver Nuggets are at their peak yet. Uh, I think Utah forced them to be better than they were at the beginning of the series but I don't think that we've seen like the best version of this Nuggets team yet so there's still I think room for growth for these guys over the course of this series.
I think it's a great point too, because the idea of momentum is going to play differently in this bubble because there's not so much time between games. You're not flying somewhere else and just resetting these gears and completely diverting the way that you're thinking. These guys are just taking this day by day and that's literally all that they're able to do. So I wonder how much momentum is going to change in the second round based on teams who finish the first round on a high note, not just winning the series, but making a lot of important developments to make them the best version of themselves and I know the Clippers had some struggles with the Mavericks just like the Nuggets had some struggles with the Jazz so how do you feel the Clippers are right now heading into this playoff series give them a grade of one to ten in terms of ten being their elite level at their best reached full potential I think the Clippers are maybe at at a seven seven and a half and I think that that's I mean you always want to be at your best right but I think the Clippers are right where or maybe a half step short of like where you want to be right now because something that that I've been talking about a lot during this run because you know the Clippers are not a team that makes championship runs right so it's not like it's just not in the like memory of the people around the organization Nuggets fans Um, feel very similar don't worry but but so we you know we think about these like oh the playoffs are normally like either seven games or 14 games right somewhere in that Mm -hmm. range but for a good team, for a team that hopes to win the championship or, or get to the finals, the playoffs are like two months and 25 games. Yeah. Nobody peaks. No one has a 25-game peak. Yeah. So you need to build up. You need to, you're going to get challenged at every step along the way. You're going to have to step your game up at every step along the way to get to the point where maybe like in the second half of the Western Conference Finals going into the NBA Finals, that's where you're really hitting like a five, six, seven game peak. So I think for the Clippers, you know, even when they, when they lost those two games in the first round to the Dallas Mavericks, Kawhi Leonard after the game is saying, yeah, I think these games are good learning experiences for us. I think we're learning about who we are as a team and what we need to be better at, uh, you know, going forward in the playoffs. So I think kind of taking that measured approach, the Clippers aren't at their peak right now, but I think they might be, where they want to be in terms of getting to where they'll need to be at to achieve their ultimate goal. One of the most fascinating parts of this series for me is that these teams are going to be fighting against not each other, but themselves. Like both of these teams know what they need to do. And they know that when they get to that level that they can compete with anybody, but neither of them are there yet. And that's probably the most interesting part is how much of this is going to be focused on the opponent and how much of this is going to be focused on themselves. And I think from the Nuggets point of view, they're going to have to make adjustments, obviously, but this isn't a team that runs, you know, 82 pick and rolls a game like the Utah Jazz did to them so the nuggets have a little bit more breathing room to look at what they want to do and i'm so curious to see how they go into that because i from what i'm picking up on from the clippers as well is that they're worried about becoming the best version of themselves not necessarily becoming the best version to beat the nuggets if is that is that along the right lines or am i looking into this the wrong way no i think you're right i think the clippers are probably more in a position where they feel like if we play our game the way we want to play it we don't have to worry too much about the other guys and I think that you know I think Doc Rivers especially can get in that mindset a little bit to a fault where we saw like in that Dallas Mavericks series there were two players on the Mavs who finished with a positive two positive plus minus 
over the course of the six games. The two players were Boban Marjanovic and Seth Curry. And the reason was because the Clippers, Rick Carlisle, engineered everything about his game plan to try to beat the Clippers, to exploit a mismatch he could find in the second unit minutes, right? Um, And that's where Seth Curry against Lou Williams and Reggie Jackson on the Clippers' second unit, and Boban, uh, who's nine inches taller than the Clippers' backup center, Montrezl Harrell, those are the two areas where Dallas really exploited the Clippers. And frankly, if you just go look at those two games the Clippers lost and the leads they had and when Dallas made their runs, if Doc Rivers had made an adjustment and not played Montrez Harrell against Boban Marjanovic, that series would have been a sweep. Yeah. Both games got swung with Boban versus Trez on the court. And then, of course, Luca's heroics closing out game four and all that, not to take away from anything else. But, you know, the Clippers won when Luca was on the court in almost every game that, in the first round. It was those Boban minutes that swung those two games that they lost. So I think the Clippers, you know, I think that, that that's something – for the Mavericks to look at where Kawhi Leonard is going to be Kawhi Leonard, but is Doc Rivers, are the Clippers going to really switch what they do to target things they want to exploit from Denver? Probably not. The Clippers are probably going to play their game and that might let Denver off the hook for some things, Uh, especially some of Denver's weaknesses defensively that I, I don't think are really primed to be exploited by the way the Clippers like to play offensively. I'm so happy you said that because that's one thing that I've really been looking at if the Nuggets were able to get past Utah, which is just how much more functional their players are in a defensive scheme against the Clippers compared to the Jazz. Like The Jazz, without Boyan Bogdanovich and this small ball team that they played, they reminded me of the Houston Rockets with Clint Capella. It was just like pick and roll, lobs, kick to shooters in the corner for threes. Like That was what they ran for their offense, but the isolation basketball and the ability to, yes, play faster, but when you are in the half court to play slower, it it gives the Nuggets a different benefit that they did not have defensively against Utah. Paul Millsap might actually be a functional player in this series. He was borderline, like he might have been the worst Denver Nugget against the Utah Jazz. He had no hope of being able to body up Rudy Gobert if he had to rotate from the weak side and also be able to close back out to the corner to Joe Ingles if the ball got swung that direction. This series will not have that same worry. And I'm very curious how you think the Nuggets struggling defense in this Clippers offense is going to kind of play because when I look at the matchups themselves, there's not technically any good answers for Kawhi or Paul George for the Denver Nuggets. They're probably going to try Paul Millsap on Kawhi, Paul, try Jeremy Grant and a mix of Torrey Craig and Gary Harris on Paul George. But so much of this is going to be required on the second and third level of their defense and the rotations they're having behind because they're going to get beat. Like Denver can't contain a chair on the perimeter. So they're going to get beat. So I, I am so curious how, how that defensive shift is going to change things. So this is, let me ask you it this way. How has the how have the Clippers dealt with these hyper-intelligent backline defenders? Because Paul Millsap, even though he's not physically able, mentally he's all there in terms of where he needs to be, getting there on time, and still being disruptive and fundamentally sound. Yeah, well, I think the main difference between the Clippers and what you were talking about with the Jazz, I think is exactly right, that the way that they run pick – pick and roll you help they kick they rotate or they swing the ball you rotate defensively right it forces you to play good team defense you can't have a like a weak spot defensively on the floor against the jazz and the nuggets 
have weak spots defensively. Yeah, Michael like Porter Jr. was targeted like I've never seen somebody targeted. Yeah, and it's – I mean, I don't even think Michael Porter Jr. is necessarily a guy that you have to, you know, pick on, like put him, you know, put him defending ball screens, get the mismatch and pick on him. I think if you just drive and kick and make him rotate, he's going to make mistakes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, listened to your show a couple weeks ago with Matt Moore where Matt Moore described him – I think is a, a drunk duck waddling down the road on defense, right? Like, that sounds like Matt, yeah. <laughs> he, he's just lost. He, he's oblivious of, mm-hmm. on defense. The Clippers don't make you rotate. Yeah. They just, they're not going to make you play that backline defense. And I, I think saying, you know, oh, we don't have a guy who can guard Kawhi Leonard, it, it almost like – you you know a lot of in a lot of matchups with star players in the NBA you think we need a guy who can guard X we need a guy who can guard Y who's our matchup going to be it actually legitimately might not matter with Kawhi Leonard like yeah. he might play the same exact game if Jeremy Grant is guarding him versus if you're guarding him yeah like he's he's going to get to 15 feet away from the basket. He's going to use his shoulders to create separation. He's going to square up, elevate with balance, and make like 70% of his mid-range jumpers. And there is absolutely not a thing that anyone in the league can do to stop him. I mean, the Mavs were playing Maxi Kleba on him, and I know that that's not like a, a sexy defensive No, game, but Kleba no, no, is a very good defensive player. He's a very good defender, and he's, I, you know, maybe underrated. Kawhi is not the quickest guy. And Kleba is 610, a 6'10 power forward slash center, a strong player. And Kawhi, I mean, it was like, you know, a sheet of paper. Kleba yeah. could not, the strength was not a factor in that matchup at all. So it'll be interesting to see Millsap is obviously, you know, I think probably even stronger than Kleba, but uh, I, you know, ability wise at this stage in his career, not as capable of staying in front. I think Jeremy Grant's length is interesting against Kawhi. I don't think anyone's going to bother Kawhi's scoring, but when the Clippers ask Kawhi to do a lot with the ball in his hands, uh, sometimes running a pick and roll, sometimes creating off the dribble or creating for others, that while he's taken steps up and he's very good with the ball in his hands, he, that's the only time where I think he sometimes gets flustered uh, and he can turn the ball over, you know, a few times a game trying to do maybe more than is in his comfort zone because the Clippers don't have like, you know, a a real offensive initiator a la Murray, a la Jokic. So that's where maybe, you know, the length or even like if, you know, I, Gary Harris is so undersized against Kawhi, but to the extent that Kawhi is going to elevate and shoot over anyone, Harris pestering his ball handling to try to stop him from getting to those spots might be an option but then again Kawhi is going to go into the mid post uh, catch the you know catch the ball with his back to the basket against Harris so that that's a rough that's a really rough one um, but I, I think the weaknesses the particular weaknesses of the Nuggets aren't in those one-on-one matchups on the wing I mean I think Harris Craig uh, and Grant are you know as fine of a trio of guys as, you know, any other team has, but Denver's weaknesses are making Michael Porter Jr. do anything on the defensive end of the court and Murray and Jokic defending ball screens. Yeah. 
And the Clippers don't really have the personnel to exploit that. I think I, I wrote that I would like to see the Clippers use their ones as screeners in this series. Yes. Because I think that if you put the ball in PG or Kawhi's hands with one of those wing defenders we've been talking about guarding them, and you have either Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Landry Shamit set a screen and then pop, you're forcing in all three of those situations, you're forcing uh, Jamal Murray to either switch onto PG or Kawhi, which is the matchup the Clippers should be hunting for, or you're forcing Murray to hedge and then recover to a 40% spot up three point shooter. I, you know, I know people don't think about it with Patrick Beverly because of the other stuff he does on the court, but he is a legitimately like high level spot up three point shooter. And of course, Landry Shamit and Lou Williams don't miss very many open shots. So I think that the Clippers can, can do some things to exploit Murray and Jokic defensively. I also think, um, you know, Doc Rivers likes to play small at the five, but only against teams that are big at the five. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him go small against Jokic and kind of live with that defensively and then make Jokic guard pick and pop players like Jermichael Green uh, and Marcus Morris on the defensive end. So yeah, there's areas where the Clippers can exploit those guys, but the lion's share of the Clippers offense is going to be a combination of like 40% PG, 40% Kawhi, 20% Marcus Morris taking two dribbles and pulling up to shoot a 15 footer over someone else. The Clippers happen to be good enough that they play offense like that and still have like one of the best offenses in the NBA and like had a 120 offensive rating in the first round against the Mavericks, but they're not going to make the defense work much more than that. One thing I want to expand on that you talked about were those two, one or those like three, one, two, one pick and rolls that get ran with guard setting screens. Utah eviscerated the nuggets doing this. Joe Ingles would come up, set a fake screen, ghost out to the, to the wing. And he was either wide open for three because Denver messed up the switch because the ghost of the screen didn't actually set it or they had to switch. And then all of a sudden Donovan Mitchell was cooking somebody he wanted to cook. This is something that I guarantee you the Clippers have seen on film and are going to do the best they can to incorporate it into their offensive flow because it has worked just so well at this point against the Nuggets defense because they don't have enough perimeter defenders to be able to have no weaknesses on the floor like you said. So while they aren't necessarily built to consistently attack the weaknesses of the Denver Nuggets defense, I do think that there are so many telltale signs from the Utah Jazz Denver Nuggets series that Doc Rivers is going to be able to use. And I really think that you're going to see a whole lot of Landry Shamit in particular, but also Patrick Beverly because he's not necessarily known as a three-point shooter, which is insane to me. I agree with you. He's been a good spot-up shooter for like three and a half years. So I think you're going to see a ton of that. It just makes so much sense, and they will have to switch. And the Nuggets have tried to hedge and recover, but Donovan Mitchell split everything in that series. And a big reason why was because they were trying to hedge. They created a gap between the two defenders, and there goes Mitchell straight down the lane playing three on five. And if Denver does that against the Clippers, it's over. You cannot beat that Clippers team if you give them that kind of an advantage because they just have too much talent. Um, that's going to be really interesting and something that I really do believe we're going to see a 
lot of from the Clippers, but I want to move forward to Paul George for a second because Kawhi will be Kawhi. Like you said, I fully agree with every last thing you said about Kawhi Leonard just going out there scoring on me or scoring on Nikola or scoring on Torrey Craig the exact same way. The part that interests me is how is Paul George's gravity going to shift the way that the Nuggets defense operates and how are they going to defend him? I am wondering if the Nuggets just say, you know what, Jeremy Grant, I want you to face guard him everywhere he goes. We're going to make Kawhi Leonard shoot the ball from the mid-range 33 times today, and if that's what it takes to win, we're going to live with that. Is that something opposing teams have done to the Clippers, and do you anticipate seeing that coming up? Uh, No, it's not something teams have done a lot of, and frankly, I think if you say we're going to make Kawhi Leonard take 30 mid-range jumpers, you're going to lose four games. You think, because the math game gets very interesting at that point. Because if you can just keep him off the three-point line, the Nuggets do have enough offensive firepower to keep up. It, it actually, he's legitimately good enough that the math game doesn't get that interesting. Like, he, he literally is shooting in the mid to high 60s from his spots <laughs> in the mid-range. That's so, absurd. So it's like... Because I, I hear what you're saying. And, and to be I, clear, I, I haven't watched any film. Again, I, I stopped writing like an hour ago <laughs> from last night's game, so I'm still behind and kind of ignorant. If, we, if we, we take the name Kawhi Leonard out of the sentence, I agree with what you're saying in theory in terms of, yeah, you want to bait the other team into taking mid-range jumpers. But I'm, I'm telling you, Kawhi Leonard is not the guy that you can play that game against. Now, what I do think in a maybe similar vein I wonder if the Nuggets can get away with more Michael Porter Jr. minutes in this series than against the Jazz because of what I was talking about. Clippers don't move the ball as much. They don't make mm-hmm. defenses ro- rotate as much. Uh, so Porter won't have to make decisions. And if Michael Porter Jr. is guarding Marcus Morris, that is the guy on the Clippers who you want to bait into thinking he's got a mismatch. We're going to run the offense through him. Because Marcus Morris, while Marcus Morris being guarded by Michael Porter Jr. is a mismatch that is in the Clippers' favor, at the same time, if the Clippers keep going to that over and over again, and Kawhi Leonard and PG and Zubats, who's also super efficient rolling to the basket and finishing down low, if those guys aren't involved in the offense as much and it's running more through Marcus Morris, it really doesn't matter who's guarding him. That's a win for the defense. So that's an area where I think if you can almost bait the Clippers into saying, yeah, we're going to go to Marcus over and over again with a mismatch, that, that can go well for the Nuggets. But Kawhi Leonard, you want to, anything to do with Kawhi Leonard touching the basketball is bad news for any defense in the NBA. So uh, if anything, I think you would rather face guard Kawhi and say, you know, PG, because PG is going to have up and down nights. Kawhi is... Kawhi is eternal. <laughs> he's he's going to, you know, he, when he has the ball, he's going to beat you. Yeah. Um, and there's not, yeah, I mean, there's not much more to say that, I mean, he's, the, the efficiency from the mid-range is bonkers. Uh, the fact that he had the series he had against the Dallas Mavericks while shooting like 29% from three because he was shooting like 67% from 15 to 18 feet. Um, it's just unreal. That is mind-blowing numbers. And it's just like you try and develop any thought process about how to at least make 
Kawhi Leonard's job not more difficult, but less impactful, less harmful to the Nuggets defense. And you're right, there just isn't an answer. So let's just flip this over. Let's talk about how the Clippers are going to defend the Nuggets now, because this is fascinating to me. You would think that Zubats would end up def- would end up defending Nikola Jokic off the starters, but I don't think that'll be the case. If the Nuggets start Paul Millsap, it would be beneficial for the Clippers to put Kawhi on Nikola, mess with him, try and get him off his game early and make him a scorer because he has a smaller guy on him and have Zubats defend Paul Millsap. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the Clippers did this in the first round. They put, uh, they made an adjustment and put Zubats on Dorian Finney-Smith. Interesting. And then what they had him do was just, you're going to guard Dorian Finney-Smith who stands in the corner and you are going to help heavy. And that way what happens... Almost zoning up at that point. Yeah, I think Zubats, you know, for, for Denver Nuggets fans, right, who listen to the show, maybe doesn't have uh, the reputation he deserves around the league as legitimately one of the best rim protectors in basketball right now. Um, Not Rudy Gobert, but you know, because he's, you know, European, a little doughy, younger guy, slow feet. People don't think of him as much of a defender. He is like at least a top five rim protector in basketball. What he struggles at defensively is stepping out to guard guys who are good three-point shooters like Nikola Jokic. He's good at containing the downhill drives of guards like Jamal Murray, but he's not good at, you know, the foot speed isn't quite there to switch out and contain a high ball screen. So what they'll do is that they move him off of that action, put him on whoever the worst shooter is on the floor, and allow him to step up in the lane and either guard the Jokic roll or guard the Murray drive which then lets them play way more aggressive point of attack defense on the ball screen. They're going to force the ball to get kicked out to Paul Millsap or Torrey Craig in the corner. And the Clippers are going to live with that. One, uh, you know, they, sorry, go ahead. Finish up. Yeah. They, they lived with it against Dory and Finney Smith. They're certainly going to live with it against Torrey Craig. That's the thing. I don't think Torrey Craig is going to play as much in this series as people think. Yes. His defense is going to be important, but they cannot live with that potential opportunity like right now the nuggets need to be able to hurt the clippers for allowing this for for allowing them to kick out to open shooters paul Millsap's like a 41 percent three-point shooter this year which is insane but also he's been consistent like there has not been any big lulls in his shooting for the past like 18 months jeremy grant very much so in the same vein he has been a very strong shooter recently so if the Nuggets can get those shots to fall. They have the ability to pull Zubats all over the place. And then you can start getting Jamal Murray going to the rim, getting some easy looks and getting that offense into a rhythm. So I do think that's a potential there. But if the Nuggets play Torrey Craig, I would not guard him. I would leave him on the perimeter for as long as he wants, let him relocate. It doesn't matter because Torrey Craig shooting threes and making them is just free points for Denver. You can't account or quantify how many of those you're going to be able to have per game. So I wonder how much PJ Dozier plays in this series because PJ Dozier is a guy I really think is going to help a lot here. I think the other Torrey Craig thing, and I feel bad because I I do like Torrey Craig. I do too. Um, The other Torrey Craig isn't going to be able to play in this series because if you just look at who the Nuggets have defensively, we talk about Jamal. We're just assuming Jamal Murray is always going to guard whoever is in at point guard for the Clippers, right? Uh, and if it's Patrick Beverly, then Pat's not going to score a ton of points for the Clippers. If it's Landry Shamit, 
you know, he's going to have to keep track of him coming off the screens. But again, the offense is running through PG and Kawhi. And if it's Lou Williams, Jamal will struggle to defend Lou Williams, but Lou Williams will struggle to defend Jamal, right? Yeah. If Torrey Craig is in the game, the Clippers can hide Lou Williams on him and not even think twice about it. And now all of a sudden, the Nuggets aren't in a position to pick on Lou defensively. And Lou is running, you know, pick and roll ball handler going downhill directly at Jamal Murray over and over and over again, while Jamal has just played like 170 minutes in his last four games and has, you know, a, a kind of picked up a, maybe like a thigh bruise. I'm not sure what the, they haven't listed is. it as anything um, yet, but yeah. That, that about yeah so he, he's not a hundred percent. He played 170 minutes his last four games. He's not a good defender to begin with, frankly. And Lou Williams is just attacking him on downhill drives. If Torrey Craig is in the game, the nuggets can't hit back on the other end and attack Lou Williams. So it's going to be, it's going to be difficult for him to play. So this is where Gary Harris comes in because even if Paul Millsap plays well and keeps starting, which I think is going to be needed in this series, you just got to pair Gary Harris with Lou Williams minutes all series long. Just let him live on Lou Williams. And if you're playing without Lou Williams, let him take the bigger guard threat or Paul George. Gary Harris's defense is going to be monumentally important in this game off the bench and bridging to the starters. But not only that, he has the ability to at least hit open jump shots, which Torrey Craig right now is not that same level of a threat. I don't think Gary Harris is going to be looked at as a knockdown shooter by the Clippers when this series starts. You'll have to prove it because he hasn't played basketball in like six damn months but I think that Gary Harris presents an entirely new option for the Nuggets that changes the the dynamics of this series entirely when you have a guy that good defensively and Gary Harris is that good he is right there with Torrey Craig despite being smaller that is going to help the the Nuggets a ton and he's so good off ball that he'll be able to disrupt drives to the lanes and these mid-range shots like he has done against James Harden as well in the past so if they can get enough Paul Millsap to be able to have him start and be able to, uh, to allow Gary Harris to just match his minutes with Lou Williams, I think that gives Denver a huge boost. Yeah, I actually think, um, and you know, you, you know the Nuggets far better than I do. I think Gary Harris is going to start game one. I'm so curious. I just don't know who you take out. That's the Monty thing. Morris. See, but this is the thing about Monte Morris. The Nuggets offense was a disaster before they put Monte Morris in the starting group because they had no other ball handlers to reverse to when the when other when opposing defenses just sold out on Jamal Murray. When that happened, the Nuggets had nothing they could do. Their offense fell apart. They I, need somebody to create on the other side of the court. I hear you, but Jamal Murray is going to be guarding Patrick Beverly. Look at the Clippers starting lineup and tell me who Monte Morris is going to guard. Monte Morris will probably guard Marcus Morris or something like that. That's what that, you end up left with. The, I mean, that is going to be I – I just don't think you can walk in to tip off of game one and come down on the first defensive possession with Monte Morris on Marcus Morris. I mean, first of all, Marcus Morris is such a physical player. Like, Monte Morris is, is not going to have yeah. fun in that matchup at all. He's going to get walked under the basket and he's just going to get, you know, like five foot floaters dropped over his head over and over until he gets taken out of the game. I, I like, I like Mont- Montemorse a lot. I actually think that he can have a really good series off of the bench here against Reggie Jackson. Uh, and that's an area where the, where the Clippers are quite weak is, is at defending backup guards from other teams. I think he Morris can have a lot of like kind of quiet, but very impactful 15.5 assists, zero turnovers, which is a common line for him, uh, you know, in, in 18 minutes off the bench in this series. But 
if he's if he's going to start at guard, the Nuggets are not going to have much of a prayer of defending the Clippers starting unit. I mean, I, I just don't think it's viable. And I don't disagree with you, but I don't think the Nuggets have a lot of good options here because if they only have Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray able to create on the floor, they don't have a functional offense anymore. And that's just because in the playoffs, you can just sell out so much to those important players. And if they really wanted to shut this down, you can just throw Paul George on Jamal Murray and Kawhi Leonard on on Nikola Jokic and switch everything they do and just keep it in front of you. Then the Nuggets have absolutely nothing they can do to reverse the court and counter from the other side. And that's just my biggest concern. I hear what you're saying. I just don't know what's worse being unable to defend the Clippers in the half court or being unable to score against them in the half court. And if you have to choose between the two, this is, you know, very indicative of just how small the margin of error is for Denver in this series. They need to find some way to miraculously shift the way that these dynamics are currently looking on paper to be able to have a chance to win this series. And that's really the only way that I'm looking at this because they're picking their poison right now. Yeah. But I mean, I think the other thing is, you know, if if putting PG and Kawhi on the Murray Jokic pick and roll and just blitzing it and then having Zubats help and recover is going to shut down the Nuggets offense. Again, I like Monte Morris. I don't think swinging the ball to have him against to have him ISO against Patrick Beverly is going to be a super productive avenue. And I get that, but also like Paul Millsap was the one who was coming over and setting screens for him. And then you have a dynamic power for with a shooter on that side of the court, being able to create new advantages. You're, you're stretching the defense back to the weak side of the floor, which then opens up the strong side. Like there are more ripple effects that go beyond just Monte Morris's existence. Yeah. I also think, um, I know you're, you're talking about PG and Kawhi kind of blitzing the nuggets primary action or just switching it, whatever makes a lot of sense. But I would like 90% expect at least to start games. I think Kawhi might switch on to Murray later in games. To start games, that action will be defended by Patrick Beverly and Marcus Morris. And the Clippers are really comfortable switching that. Obviously, you don't want Beverly switched onto Jokic down low, um, but that's where Zubats comes in and helps on the roll, right? Yeah. But if Jokic, and I know he can make, you know, he has that kind of funky. It's not, it's totally not the Dirk fallaway shot. It's but the Sombor shuffle thing, is what it's yeah, called. It's the only thing I can think to compare it to. I know he can make that shot and Patrick Beverly's not going to bother it at all. But I think again, to your point about, um, you know, letting Leonard shoot 30 mid range shots a game. I think that if the Nuggets offense is going to be Jokic taking that shot 30 times in a game, you live with it. So I, I think they'll actually have Beverly and Morris kind of, the physical players of the Clippers defense um, attacking that primary action. And then Leonard and Paul George get deployed as the backline defenders who, right. When Zubats has to sag into the lane to cover Jokic's role, Kawhi Leonard is guarding two guys on the weak side until the recovery can come from either Beverly or Morris. And that's, I think maybe the most difficult position in that defensive scheme where you're going to, you know, put two pests on the ball screen, have Zubats help off of the corner shooter to contain the roll or the dribble penetration. And then you, you're playing 2v1 on the weak side. They put Kawhi Leonard there and they have him cover a lot of ground, close out on whoever gets the ball. And then let's say, for example, if the Clippers switch that ball screen and then Zubats, and then Jokic rolls to the rim and gets picked up by Zubats 
and the ball gets swung to Millsap in the weak side corner, Kawhi is going to go over to the corner and then it's going to come to Patrick Beverly to when he sees Jokic is rolling and Zubac is picking him up, abandon that play and come pick up the, the free guy. That's what the Clippers did against Dallas. They were incredibly successful doing it with their starting unit. They were incredibly abysmal doing it with their <laughs> defensive unit because you're taking, you know, the Clippers have like five plus defenders on the floor in their starting unit. I, I think at least three of those guys are like all NBA defense talent level. And you go to the bench where you've got a couple of guys who are average and three guys who are awful. So in the starting unit, at least, I think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to give Denver fits. It gave Luka fits until the Clippers went to their second unit. I mean, Rick Carlisle in that series was taking Luka out early and putting him back in against the Clippers' second unit just yeah. to, to get him reps in more friendly environments. I know Jamal Murray and, and Jokic are going to play a lot, and they are going to get reps against the Clippers' second unit. Against that starting lineup early in games where they're, where they're fresh and they haven't had to make adjustments yet to you know, a guy like Torrey Craig or Michael Kidd-Gilchrist in the first round hitting a couple of open corner threes, but early in games, they've really been sharp on the defensive end, kind of using that aggressive switch scheme and having Kawhi cover ground on the weak side. And to be fair to your point, that also forces Nikola Jokic to be a scorer, which takes him out of his element. Like, it's the same LeBron thing where you just don't want him. Like, you don't want him having a 30-point triple-double. You don't want him to score 35 and have two assists. Like, that's the ideal outcome when, when playing against a guy like Nikola Jokic in a playoff series where he's going to score no matter what. And having Kawhi Leonard and Paul George just, like, roaming passing lanes, too, is something that will allow them to play fast, dictate the pace of the game, and then suddenly the Nuggets are playing from behind and not playing their style of play at all, which is damning for this team going forward. So I do think that you're probably right. It's something that I'm very curious to see how they play. I also think later on in the series, especially late in games, you might see them start to flip Paul George and Kawhi Leonard onto the, onto, onto the Nuggets more star level players and Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, but I think you're right. They're going to start games out, but is letting them roam and also not forcing them to expend a ton of energy defending in game one and switching everything and trying to hold Nikola Jokic out of the post and so on and so forth. So I find that very, very interesting. And I think you actually might be right. You definitely swayed me on that one, but let's move into X factors. What is in your opinion, the biggest X factor for the Clippers to win this series? Well, I think, it's, you know, Paul George has had some struggles uh, in the bubble. <laughs> yes. And, I, you know, I actually think the whole playoff P thing and, and um, you know, his, his career playoff struggles, you go back and look, you know, it's a little overstated. No, um, massively. He had some incredible series against LeBron James when he was with the Pacers. And, the well, guy yeah, really... and, and even, you know, even in recent years, he's had bad games, but you're not going to find very many – elite scorers who don't have bad shooting nights over the course of a seven game series. I mean, Jamal Murray just had one of the best scoring series of all time and had games where he had a 12 point game in game three, right? Um, yep. Shot the ball. Everyone shot the ball poorly in game seven, I but it's like four of 18 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think. He, yeah. So the point, you know, the point being Paul George has has games like that and I think game six against the Mavericks was a game like that where I believe he was six of 19 but he had a pretty good all-around um, performance he still scored in the high teens 
he had nine rebounds. He had seven assists. He played good defense. So games like that are good, are fine. What he can't have is games two, three, and four of that first round series were a mental nightmare for him. He was in his own head. He was reading his own Instagram comments, which you should never do. Ever. Um, and he not only reached a point where he wasn't shooting the ball well, but he was scared on the basketball court. And when I tell you Paul George playing against 6'3 Steph Curry, pump faking three times at the rim before taking a layup, right? Like yeah. he was, he'd had no confidence. And so if Paul George, you know, families coming in, I think will be a huge help for a guy who has been sitting there reading his own comments on social media. Um, I think getting out of the first round, kind of getting a breath of fresh air will be helpful. And what I really want to see from Paul George is I want him to put his head down, go straight to the rim. And whether he gets a charge, he gets a dunk, he gets fouled, he misses the shot, whatever. I want him to go. Um, and what, what we saw a lot, what we saw way too much of in the first round was timidness and I'm going to take my first step and then kind of, you know, hesitate and then step to the side and take a fall away 17 footer when I'm already, you know, three for 16 tonight. So, and, and I think even in uh, game four, which the Clippers lost in overtime, he played 20 minutes in the second half and took four shots. He's got to be more assertive on the offensive end. He had a great game five. Uh, I think 35 points in 25 minutes in game five as the Clippers won by 43. He had a strong game six where even though he didn't shoot the ball well, he was much more like, oh, this is just a normal Paul George low-end shooting night versus abysmal play, right? Yeah. I think if he has a normal series, it's going to be very, very hard for the Nuggets to be competitive because like you said, a lot of what the Nuggets need to do to win games is outscore people. And the Clippers have the, you know, the best offense left in the playoffs. So the only team that had a better offense than them this year, uh, I believe was the Dallas Mavericks who the Clippers just knocked out in the first round. Denver is one of the other best remaining offensive teams in the playoffs. But if the, you know, if the Nuggets want to play 120 point games against the Clippers, the Clippers can win those just as easily as they can win the hundred point games against the Nuggets. What really, you know, will need to happen. I think for Denver to have a strong shot in the series is Paul George to not play well, which will then make it a little hard for the Clippers to reach those 120 point games. Man. Yeah. I, I think I agree with everything you said. And I also think that again, this comes back to the margin of error for the Nuggets. Like they have such a thin line to walk to be able to stay in this series. If one thing goes awry, the whole series can get away from them. This can be a four or five game series. And I don't know what it's going to take. Um, but I guess from the Nuggets perspective, really they're only true X factor. Well, you know what? There's two um, is one Gary Harris, because if he can hit threes and defend like he did in game six and seven against the Utah jazz, the nuggets have some serious different level of potential on both ends of the floor. Um, I've written about Gary Harris. You can go read it on mile high sports. I'm not going to continually hammer the Gary Harris point of this, but Michael Porter jr. Off the bench 
is not really a guy that the Clippers have a matchup for. And I wonder how much his scoring ability off the bench is going to factor into this series. And I think that him being able to have an 18-point game a couple times in this series could potentially swing this series in a way that people didn't anticipate. He is that one explosive scorer off the bench that you just cannot account for. And he is. like I remember someone asking him after... um, I believe it was game three against the jazz. If he ever feels a hand in his face when he, when when people contest his three pointers and he was like, honestly, when I jump, I don't even notice. And it's because he's so big. The skill he has and the touch he has at that size is devastating when he's on. And I don't think the Clippers have a matchup for him. Is that something you also kind of agree with? Yeah. I mean, I think MPJ is the easy, the easy X factor for the nuggets. Right. And probably not just in this series, but, generally because of his explosive scoring ability you know i uh, while researching this matchup i actually found the the other guys who will play in this series for the nuggets besides murray porter jr and Jokic, monty morris gary harris jeremy grant tory craig mason Plumley, paul Millsap. those six guys combined to break the 20 point barrier 18 times in 370 appearances this series Jesus. this season Michael Porter Jr., as I'm sure you know. <laughs> didn't he do it in all eight seeding games? No, he sat one of them. But like he, he, he didn't break 20 in all of them. He broke, he broke 20 in four of the seven seeding games he played in. Yeah. And he broke 30 in two of them, which no non-Murray or Jokic Nugget has done this season, I believe. So he's the guy besides Murray and Jokic who can have a huge game. I think Jeremy Grant might be the Nuggets' third best player. I don't know if you agree with me. I agree with Um, you. And I think he might have a lot of games in the mid to high teens, 16, 18, break into the low 20s once or twice. But Michael Porter, a, a lot of what Grant gets offensively is going to be hustle points, transition points, and being kind of left open either to shoot corner threes or cut back door because the Clippers are focusing on Murray and Jokic. Porter is going to get his own points on the perimeter with the ball in his hands in a way that Grant isn't going to. He's the third guy that can beat you in a given game. Now, what, what you said about the Clippers not having a matchup for him, I think it's somewhat true if you just look, you know, straight starter bench units. But partially he's a guy I think in a you know he's not Kawhi Leonard but kind of how I was saying it doesn't really matter who's guarding Kawhi Leonard he's going to make his shots yeah Porter Jr. is going to you know if he gets hot it doesn't really matter um that said the Clippers stagger their lineups pretty uh they don't do a great job of staggering their more than one starter but one of Paul George or Kawhi Leonard will always be on the floor and between Patrick Beverly, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Marcus Morris, if the only two guys that you're really worried about beating you from the perimeter on the Nuggets are Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., I don't know that Porter Jr. will see very many reps on offense where he isn't playing against either like George, Leonard, or Morris. Uh, And those are are three of the best guys you could ask for um, in terms of that matchup. So you know, I don't think that the Clippers are going to like, I I'm not anticipating that we're going to see a lot of like Landry Shamit trying to guard Michael Porter jr. I think Jermichael green might end up there in spots, but Jermichael green is, is, a, is a pretty solid defender. Actually. He's 
probably the best defender off the bench for the Clippers. Um, and again, I think Green is in kind of is in a position where if you know Porter's going to hit those shots, he's going to hit contested shots. You know, it's not like Green, it's Green's fault, but he's a solid guy, um, and he's he's a guy who actually can kind of bug Porter a little bit on the other end. We've seen Green be really effective both at picking and popping where teams are so focused on Lou Williams, he's going to get open above the break threes and he hits those at like 37, 38% clip. But also if he feels like he can muscle a guy, remember he was started at power forward for the Memphis Grizzlies for yeah. forever. He'll go down on the block and just hit little hook shots. And I know Porter's a lengthier defender than some of the guys green was going against uh, in Dallas, but Porter is not necessarily a strengthier defender. Yeah. You can so, bury him under the rim for sure. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think the Clippers will, will be able to target Porter Jr. Not that I don't think he's a threat um, because, like I said, he's the third guy on the Nuggets who can beat you getting his own buckets on the perimeter. I'm just not sure that this matchup is particularly favorable to Porter compared to uh, any other matchup. I think a guy that maybe a sneakier pick is I think Monty Morris, um, you know, if he's put in, in a bad position having to guard Marcus Morris – it's going to be a really rough series for him. But in those second unit minutes, Reggie Jackson is a bad defender and incredibly turnover prone. And I think that Monte Morris is just a lot smarter than Reggie Jackson at basketball and has the potential to really swing some runs there by just not turning the ball over, making smart, simple plays against a Clippers second unit that is pretty bad defensively. And then, Reggie just turning the ball over uh, for the Clippers on the other end. So I, I, that's an area where I think the Nuggets could kind of pick up runs. Like that's where I could see, you know, a tw- an eight point Clippers lead to start the fourth quarter being tied with 10 minutes left when Kawhi Leonard comes back in because of Monte Morris. I love this because Monte Morris just got done showing that he can be a high-level defensive player, even against the likes of Joe Ingles, even Jawan Howard roll into the rim despite how much bigger he is, and Donovan Mitchell. And his ability to have the understanding and the spatial awareness on the court to get into passing lanes is 100% one of his best skills. Like he had, I believe it was like eight points, three assists, three steals, zero turnovers in the first half last game, because he knew exactly where, where Utah wanted to go with the ball. And he split the difference and baited them into those positions and got into the passing lane. So I do think that you're right about Monte Morris as an X factor. And I think he can particularly bug Reggie Jackson. And I also think having Mason Plumlee screening Reggie, Jackson is going to allow the Nuggets to play a whole lot of four on five basketball off their bench, which is going to just make them that much more, you know, explosive as an offensive team. So this is all 100% I agree with. I, I think that the Monte Morris point is one that I actually overlooked and I think is going to be very, very instrumental in this series. Are you ready to make predictions, Lucas? I know that in your story, you made a prediction already, but yeah. give everybody the idea of what you're thinking for this one. Okay. So I, I put Clippers in six um, because I do think, I mean, I think the Nuggets for me all season have been the clear cut third best team in the Western conference. Um, And so that I think there's a, I think the popular trend in picking this series is going to, is going to be ending it a lot quicker uh, than I think it will be ended. I think by, we talked earlier about the first game, kind of the legs factor. 
I do kind of feel like the nugget the Nuggets come out flat in game one. And that, you know, the Clippers will win that game. I think this series will really swing on game two because that's the game that I'm expecting to be the really hard fought game. If the Nuggets win game two, this is going to be a long series. I still think the Clippers are the better team. I think they give the Nuggets too many problems on both ends of the floor. Uh, and I'm, there's just not, I, I don't think there's a five man Nuggets lineup that really feels like they can win on both ends of the floor against the Clippers at the same time. That said, I think the Nuggets have enough talent um, and Murray and Jokic and then the kind of X factor of Porter Jr. scoring gives them a chance to win games. I think if the Clippers win that hard fought game too, my concern, um, and this is, I mean, I, th- I think, I hope I've been, uh, you know, a, a gracious guest and friendly to the Nuggets uh, in the time <laughs> we've been talking. Yeah. This, is, this is going to be my harshest critique that will make all the Nuggets fans who went and followed me at the beginning of the episode when, when you said my Twitter <laughs> handle, go back and click unfollow. I just think that this Nuggets team, you know, teams take on the personality of their best player. Jokic is very liable to quit if they go down 2-0. And if he doesn't show up for game three, they're going to be down 3-0 and the series is over. I just don't know. Yeah. I mean, that, like I said, that's, that's harsh and it's getting, I know it's going to not feel good for Nuggets fans, but I'm just not sure if they go down 2-0 and there, there's some frustration there. I just don't know that Jokic shows up to play in game three and they're not going to win a game where he doesn't show up to play. It's funny. I want to argue with you, but there's so much truth to it. And it's, and part of this is just nobody knows what the hell Nikola Jokic is ever thinking or what makes him motivated or what he loves about basketball. Like nobody has this idea. Like Matt Moore and I always joke that he's a bird. He just goes on instinct. He's not a supercomputer. He just does. And that's kind of how he operates. And because of that, there's a volatility to the leadership factor, which is which has absolutely played out in this playoff series. When they gave up in game three, which I, I mean that, they gave up in game three of the, of the Jazz series, Nikola Jokic was the biggest culprit, and there is no denying that, and the team followed suit. Jamal Murray drugged that lifeless corpse of a team back into this resurrection that allowed them to win this series. That was not because Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic had great games. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that 26-12 and 12 as averages or whatever is bad. That's fundamentally not true, but Nikola Jokic was at fault more than anybody for the Nuggets lackluster play to start the series. And he fixed it in the last games. I mean, he was involved. He was engaged. He was hyped up. He was talking to guys. He was in the huddles trying to draw up plays. He was involved. He was engaged. But I do wonder how much you're right. If they do go down 2-0 or 3-0, how much does he just throw the talent? Not that Nikola Jokic gives up, but that mentally, instinctually, he just isn't there anymore. And if that does happen, Denver's dead in the water. It doesn't matter at that point. That's why I think that your point about game two is important. But the other part I want to add into this is 
Jamal Murray has taken on a new level of leadership with this team, especially being the emotional heartbeat of this group. Um, normally that's Will Barton, but Will Barton is no longer in the bubble. They don't have that guy to rely on to get them involved again and to get them excited about what they're doing. Jamal Murray has become that, and he's embodied that. And I wonder how that impacts Nikola Jokic in the second series now, because he didn't have all of that going for him in the first series. Jamal Murray grew into that role and now he has embraced it. So I'm curious how that shifts. Again, I think that everything you said is 100% valid because Nikola Jokic did give up. The Nuggets did give up. That was 100% a fact. But now I wonder if things are different. Now I wonder now that they have proven themselves that they can come back and be the 12th team ever to overcome a 3-1 deficit, that maybe that shifts. And I'm not saying it will. I'm not saying it won't. But it's on the table more so than it was two days ago. Yeah, and I think, you know, to the point, you know, I want to I wanna maybe give a little support because I know that's not like – like I said, I understand that's going to not feel good for Nuggets fans to hear. That, like I said, the Clippers in their game three against the Spurs in 2015 got blown out. But, you know, they, the starters stayed in the game 30-plus minutes down 27. They just couldn't hit a shot. Uh, they shot – you know, they, they scored 73 points in the game. They couldn't hit a shot in that game. The Clippers beat the Dallas Mavericks by 43 in game five in the first round this year. The Dallas Mavericks did not quit in that game. They kept, you know, through, through the third quarter, their starters were in. They kept on making runs to cut it from 22 to 16. And the Clippers kept on slamming the door in their faces and frustration mounted. Rick Carlisle gets thrown out. Luca picks up a tech for yelling at the ref. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. commits a flagrant foul on Paul George. And that then kind of crumbles and the Clippers really that game wasn't a 43 point game until Montrose Harrell got left in, in garbage time against Dallas's third string. It was a huge playoff blowout, but the Mavs didn't quit that quit from the nuggets in game three of the first round. I know they came back and won the series down three, one, which is hugely impressive. That quit from game three is just so deeply troubling to me when I consider like, you know, thinking about this team. I think that that's something that, that they'll have to reckon with for a long time going forward. And I give all the credit in the world to Jamal Murray, who I think has shown up in this playoffs and kind of made a name for himself after being doubted when he got that contract, right? In the biggest way, like new generation of talent arriving in the playoffs this year, Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, Luka Doncic, all three, amazing first round series. I just don't think, I mean, I really, really question how much gas is in the tank for Jamal at this point to, you know, lead another rally if they go down 2-0 again, right? Or I know they weren't down 2-0 in the first round. Yeah, but I go down again. Um, And then similarly, I think without taking away from how great his performances were, they those aren't sustainable performances yeah like the 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 rate at which he was shooting threes was like what 53 percent in that series compared to 36 percent on the season 34 34 percent on the season 36 percent career so i know he's a capable shooter he's better than the 34 percent because he takes high difficulty off the dribble shots but i you know i think just any reasonable person has to say Jamal Murray is not going to shoot 53% from three for the series. Again, Jamal Murray is not going to score 
142 points in three games again. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like Jamal Murray is not Michael Jordan. Like that will not happen. Yeah, I mean, Michael Jordan didn't do this. Yes, like, exactly. that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the extent to how great he was yes. in the first round, which is both a testament to the utter brilliance of his performance in that first round series, the magnificence of it. And also the fact that it's probably not something that's going to happen again in the second round. So I'm going to split the difference here because one thing that I think is missed in this conversation, I know I've kept you here forever and I'm sorry ahead of time, but no, it's a blast. Um, the one thing that is changing my opinion on what you're saying, because I actually don't agree. Jamal Murray after the all-star break, because he was hurt before the all-star break, he then had the all-star break and then he came back and started playing again the amount of time that he had to watch film and he's talked about this with the media. He learned what he was doing wrong as a shooter. He was never ready to shoot. He was always looking to get downhill and he was always trying to be a different version of himself to try and fit what he thought the nuggets needed from him. Once he came back, and now from the seeding games that he played, well, the one seeding game that he played, and then going into the playoffs, he has embodied the exact type of three-point shooting, not the percentage, not the volume, but the way he gets his shots that everybody has been desperately asking for, like just waiting and clamoring for. Michael Malone over and over and over again has talked about him needing to be shot ready and the fact that there is no way he should be a 34% three-point shooter. So not to say, again, he's not going to average 50. He's not going to shoot 55% from three. He's not going to be, he's not going to be taking 12 a game, but there is a reality here in which Jamal Murray is now finally back to the 39 to 42% three point shooter. He can be. And if that is the case, then there is a level of sustainability here to what he can do to this Clippers team. Yeah. I buy that. I buy that Jamal. I mean, I, I'm surprised to see 34% on the season stats for Jamal. So I totally buy that he's a better shooter than that. 53% is not sustainable no for anyone. It's not sustainable for Steph Curry. It's not sustainable for Ray Allen. Um, and I think even at 42%, which is lethal, when he's shooting them in the volume, he does. I mean, it. yeah, I, I, he's not, not going to sustain his first round numbers. And, um, you know, it, I just don't know without that essentially unrepeatable Herculean effort where this team gets their, um, their gusto, you know, to come back when they are down, but I don't want to, I don't want to belabor that point too much. But, um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I could see, I could see the series ending quickly if it becomes two Oh, but I think it becoming two Oh would require both. Like I said, game one could, I think could go either way in terms of, momentum versus fatigue um i've seen it both ways with teams coming off of emotional game seven wins so my call here is fatigue in this case because it feels like they're so tired and i mean jamal murray's reaction live on sports center to being told that this game one would be played on thursday like tells you a lot so i think it's going to go the fatigue direction but i'm not certainly not sure and i think game two is going to be the most however game one goes because if the Clippers go down, if the Clippers lose game one, you know they're bringing it in game two. Yeah. If the Nuggets lose game one with fatigue, they're going to bounce back in game two and play a much better game. Game two is going to be the real swinging point. Um, and if the Clippers go up 2-0, it's going to be really hard for the Nuggets. But I think there's a, a pretty good chance that either the Nuggets get that high momentum coming into game one or they win that really hard-fought game two. 
Yeah, I agree. And I have Denver losing in six just because I think they have the talent to grab a couple games. Like, I don't, I don't think there's anything, like, mesmerizing about how they're going to get there. But there's just going to be nights where Paul George isn't perfect, Kawhi Leonard isn't a god, and all of a sudden the Nuggets are, have the ability to hang with them. And I think that might happen. But, again, I don't think the Nuggets have the horses in this race. They just aren't that talented. And not to say they aren't talented. This is just the Clippers we're talking about. So just the fact that you don't have the Paul George, the Kawhi Leonards, and even the Patrick Beverly of the world that there's a, a different versatility that they have and a different level of depth that the Clippers have that the Nuggets just can't hang with so I, I'm with you I think Denver loses in six but it might go five all right yeah yeah so for all that we agree <laughs> after all of the arguing we agree <laughs> Lucas, oh, this could have been like a 30 second podcast <laughs> <laughs> here we are an hour later after bullshitting our way through all of that but please please plug everything that you're doing especially over at 213 because there's so many cool things you're doing over there yeah absolutely uh you know 213hoops.com independent home of la clippers blogging uh i've been covering the team since 2011 credentialed since 2014 my Twitter is at Lucas J. Han, H-A-N-N, and uh, at 2 and 3 Hoops on Twitter for the site's account. We've got a bunch of great uh, great writers. Um, uh, my co-editor, Robert Flom, but also um, you know a, a bunch of Clippers fans, people from around the league writing analysis pieces about the Clippers for us. Uh, two great podcasts. Um, if you look in wherever you listen to podcasts, 213 Hoops, The Law of the Jam, the podcast, we are doing uh, post-game shows after every game, uh, potentially one with our friend TJ. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a blast. So I hope you, you come check it out and uh, enjoy kind of seeing the flip side perspective of the series. Seriously, go check them out because my whole thing about local media right now is creating community is the only way that you can sustain anything when it comes to local mm -hmm. media nowadays. And you guys have done that and you have built something that you guys started from scratch just based on loving basketball and loving the Clippers. And that's really, really damn encouraging for the state of this world in terms of journalism. So thank you for everything that you have done over there. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on this show. And I hope you stay safe, man. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Hope to... Hope to see you at, at a summer league next July if the world gets back on track. There will be shots of Jameson on the <laughs> second we get there, Lucas. But it was a pleasure. All right, All right man. Talk to you soon. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are finally coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, you get NFL Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels so you never miss your favorite teams and your favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use your promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off of your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. That is promo code BLUEWIRE in all capital letters.
thank you all again for sticking around, for listening to the show, for leaving five-star reviews, for leaving comments, for sharing it on social media, for sending in questions for me to answer, which I admittedly screwed up and forgot to answer on this show with Lucas, and I'm sorry, but... Seriously, the interaction that I get has been awesome. I'm sorry that I missed those questions. I was up till 5.30 a.m. writing and woke up at 9 a.m. to finish today. So my brain is basically mush right now. So that was 100% my bad. I am sorry ahead of time. But there will be more podcasts in the future with more guests and more topics to discuss. So there will be plenty of Clippers conversations coming, probably with Lucas. So there will be more time to be able to have that opportunity. Again, I want to thank DoorDash, I want to thank BetOnline, I want to thank NFLSundayTicket.tv, and I want to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, because without every single one of them, I would not be right here being able to talk hoops with you, even though there's a pandemic happening. It's been really awesome to be able to have this conversations and be able to have this kind of community during all of this chaos in the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, please keep wearing a mask. Keep, please stay inside. Please keep staying safe. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will be back later on with another show in the future. So from now, this is TJ McBride, the host of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, signing off, and I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to uh, to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all of the odds, the futures, and props to bet on, and they're all available 24/7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion. Robert Ori. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series that they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all of your odds and up-to-date sports news. Also, remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE when to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, spelled B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.